You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everyone, and welcome to Music Tectonics, the podcast where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host for right this second, Tristra Newyear Jaeger, Chief Strategy Officer at Rock Paper Scissors, the music innovation PR firm. Today, I'm really excited to talk to our guest. Um, we're joined by Nick Johnson, who's the founder of Music Health. One of the many products that they are working on is an app called Vera, and we'll learn all about that during this episode. Nick has a really fascinating background. He grew up as a young person DJing. He spent some of his youth on Ibiza, and he got to know firsthand how music can impact our bodies and minds from watching folks on the dance floor. Later, he founded an AI startup, and now he's working on how to translate scientific findings into how we can use music to support better health and mental wellness. So it's a really, really interesting set of topics, and I hope you all really dig it today. So Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Um, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So let's start off with the basics. How do you usually describe what you do to people who may be uninvolved in music and tech? I, I describe this initially with my background in musicology. It's the ability to understand how we as humans consume music and how we can use that to our advantage to use music as a tool to enhance our personal health. And how does that translate into your day-to-day? So in your role at Music Health, what exactly do you do? So we focus on what we call precision music. And what we mean with that is it's our ability to find the right music at the right time to modify a neurological or mental state. And what we focus on with our technology is how do we make it really easy for somebody dealing with whatever issue they're dealing with, uh, neurological or mental, as I mentioned, and how do we give them the tools to modify that in their daily routine and improve their well-being overall? And so we use AI, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, to be able to surface the right type of sound or music for each individual based on their background, which is really important to understand how the brain processes those sounds and that music. Fascinating. So there is an amazing personal story behind Music Health. And Nick, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share that personal moment that blossomed into this new business direction. Where did this all begin? Yeah, it's actually two parts. Uh, One, which is directly how music has impacted me in my life. And the other is how it's impacted my family. So to start from the very beginning, very briefly, I used to listen to a lot of music as a kid. I was the typical kid with headphones on all the time, all throughout school. I think pretty much in all the school photos, you can see me with headphones on as well. And I learned later as I studied musicology and other things in neuroscience that um, I was using music as a tool to help me deal with difficult emotions and difficult moments in my life as a child. And when I understood that and how I was using that, I became fascinated with the power of music. And that initially led me to want to become a DJ when I was 14, because of course, uh, that makes total sense. And the, the simple reason being is that 
because I knew how music could make me feel, I couldn't think of a greater joy than to be able to provide that for others. And so DJing for me was that vessel. Um, but the reason I was also so impacted by music is uh, my grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's many, many years ago before we really understood what dementia was and what these brain diseases were. We just thought it was a normal part of aging. Uh, we now know that that's not the case. And um, over the years, I've seen this impact my family in significant ways. And that led me to decide that actually with the knowledge that I have and and the work that I've been doing for the last 20 years, this is really what I need to be spending my time on because I know how to build the technology to enhance the value of music as a therapy. And so that was kind of the personal pivot to start Music Health, uh, to build the tools to help my own family and also help other families. And then that very quickly evolved because of COVID into a much larger thing. Let's talk a moment about how music can assist in dementia care. Um, how, how exactly does that work? What, what did you discover as you began to explore this topic and try to find how to match music to support? Yeah, so I'm not a, an academic or a researcher, but I am a massive nerd. And so <laughs> I read a lot of scientific papers and research. I've been doing that for as long as I can remember. And even while I was DJing and reading all of this scientific literature, what I was reading made total sense to me because I was seeing this on the dance floor to some extent, as cheesy as that sounds, but I got to see and observe so many interesting things. So all the science was making sense to me. So I kept reading more and more about it. And the thing that happens with dementia, so dementia is the umbrella term for uh, a bunch of different uh, things that impact the brain, brain diseases. Alzheimer's is the most common of all of them. What researchers found is that uh, the area of the brain responsible for long-term memory is the last to be impacted by this disease or group of diseases, if at all. And so when we are able to activate this area of the brain, then it acts as a trigger uh, which then activates the other areas of the brain that are no longer functioning as well because of this disease. And one of the best ways to activate our long-term memory is with music. And I'm sure everyone that's listening to this have had a moment in their past where they've heard a song or a sound and it instantly brings them back to a moment from their past. And for somebody with dementia, that can be incredibly powerful because it acts as a prompt to get them out of a certain mental state and allows them to move into another. So confusion, um, disorientation, agitation, are all very common things with Alzheimer's. And when we're able to stimulate the brain through this music, then we can help this person in the moment sort of come back. So their memory is working better, uh, their communication can work better, their mood can be better. And that actually improves the ability of a caregiver to better care for them. And that's really powerful. And you have built an app to assist caregivers in this process, right, called Vera. Can you tell me a little bit about how the app works and how you designed it? Yeah, absolutely. So the premise with Vera is all about how do we make life easier, not only for the person with dementia, but also the caregiver. 
Caregiving is incredibly stressful. I've seen this with my own family and many other families. It's something that we don't talk enough about. It's, it's a full-time job and then some, and it's a very emotionally draining. So we also know that the most stressful moments of care are the ones uh, which we call the activities of daily living, which is when you're helping somebody uh, go to the bathroom or eat or get dressed or shower. These are very personal moments. And in these moments of high stress, there can be a lot of agitation and frustration on both sides. And so we found that actually this is the perfect time to be using music because it allows us to help the person with dementia come back and uh, be in the moment and at a minimum recognize who they are and where they are and what they're doing. So if I, if I make this a very basic example for me, uh, if I were to do this with one of my parents who would have dementia and they don't usually recognize me, which is a very common thing with this disease, by using the music when I need to help bathe one of my parents, it allows them to come back to the moment, recognize me and know that it's safe, it's okay. And then that conversation of, hey, um, you know, I need to help you with the clothes now and then we're gonna have a shower and then I'm gonna get you dressed again. That whole interaction becomes a lot more pleasant for both parties. And if we think about this in nursing homes, uh, if you get somebody, you know, my size, six foot one, who's agitated and you have a caregiver that's half my size, that can be a very scary interaction. And in many cases that would then involve a second or a third caregiver. We've now found that with the app, uh, the caregiver can handle this by themselves because the interaction is actually enjoyable. Uh, there's communication. Sometimes there's even singing along to the music and uh, it's literally dancing into the shower versus, Hey, don't touch me, leave me alone. So it's a very different experience. And so what we do with the app is there's a very simple onboarding. We ask about the uh, person's background. So the person you're caring for, and it's really important to understand uh, what languages this person speaks, because as the disease progresses, our brain sort of goes to our younger years and we go into what I like to describe as uh, default mode. So we go to our native language. We go to our memories from the past that are ingrained in our brain. And so with the onboarding, we ask, uh, you know, where was somebody born? What's their native language? Where did they spend their teenage years? and a few other things like that. And then we ask about music taste. Uh, oftentimes a caregiver might not know in detail what this is, but just a few prompts can give us some ideas of you know, a favorite song or favorite artist. And with all this information, then we're able to find the right music based on their background to then help somebody either relax, reminisce, which is really focusing on those childhood memories or energize if they're feeling down or lethargic. And then every time the caregiver uses the app, they can assess the mood. So if it's for me, Nick today is feeling agitated. Uh, so I select that and then the right music will start playing automatically to help me relax and bring me back to my baseline. 
That's really fantastic. And I was looking at, at Vera a tiny bit, and I noticed that the profile has a lot of musical variety. Just for the listeners out there who may not have seen any of this stuff yet, it's really cool. It was everything from like Sinatra to Aerosmith. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, that gives It gives like caregivers a really wide range of music to consider. Yeah, it, the whole purpose here is that uh, we actually did an experiment on this, right? We asked uh, a bunch of children, and by children, uh, people of all ages, about their parents' music taste. How accurate can you uh, share your parents' music taste with us? And we found that in many, many cases, they were very wrong. Oh, my so gosh. <laughs> we know our parents' music taste from when we were around. Yeah. But we don't really know what they listened to when we weren't around and when they were teenagers. Oh, gotcha. And Makes sense. What's really interesting with the app is that we're finding music from the teenage years and we're getting people singing along and the the children not knowing about these memories and then hearing stories about it, which is really, really exciting. I love that. That's really awesome. We're going to talk more about music health and its technology in just a second after the break. As music tech people, sometimes it's hard to stay up to date on relevant news. We're excited to announce that our curated newsletter for Music Tech News, Rock Paper Scanner, has officially gone public. Sign up to receive a weekly curated news feed of industry context, Web3 and AI, industry revenue, cool tools, and more when you sign up today. Go to pages.rockpaperscissors.biz slash scanner. That's pages.rockpaperscissors.biz slash scanner. Or visit musictectonics.com and find this episode's blog post for a quick link. And now, back to the episode. All right, we're back with Nick Johnson talking about music health, Vera, and how AI and music tech can help us address some, actually, some of society's, you know, biggest problems when it comes to things like dementia, mental wellness, etc. So um, let's talk for a second, Nick, about how you weave all this together. So you mentioned you're a big nerd and you love to read scientific papers. And and um, I am also, I, I think I'm also in that nerd group. I love reading about new discoveries and trying to, you know, to the best of my layperson ability, understand what, what folks are, are thinking about and the questions they're asking. I'm wondering how you take that knowledge and weave it together with music culture. Um, that's it. Seems like that's a pretty vital step in this process, and in, in in any app, you know, frankly, that wants to address wellness. How how does that happen at Music Health? I mean, you don't need to give away the secret sauce, but what's the general approach? Well, again, the benefit there is is our team's background with music. We all come from different areas, but have worked in music and. For me personally, I was on dance floors for 20 years observing people, you know, and that that in itself is fascinating. You get to see a lot of interesting things, but the interaction with music and what's really important in a song, that was crucial to uh, the work that I've been focused on for the last 20 years. So with us, it's understanding what type of music makes you feel a certain way? Uh, and I say feel always because one thing that a lot of people don't understand, and, and so for the benefit of us nerds here, let me just dive in a quick second here. 
the way our brain works is we get stimulated. Uh, our brain needs stimulation, in fact, to function properly. And we get this from a variety of different things. But over 80% of that comes from sound. And so sound comes through the ears, as we know. Music is the best sound because it's the only sound that activates all the different areas of the brain. But every sound that is processed through our brain passes through our limbic system. And our limbic system is responsible for our emotion and memory. And so when we talk about <clears throat> sound and music and that it impacts the way we feel, that's incredibly true. And this has to do with our reptilian brain and fight or flight. And I won't get into that now, but every sound we hear triggers an emotional response in us. And that is heightened with music because it activates all the different areas of the brain. So using that as a starting point, if you know that, then the second layer to that is understanding what music makes an individual feel different things. And, you know, your music taste could be very different to mine. So what helps you relax might not help me relax. So that's why we have our onboarding. And once we understand that and we can layer that with the other things, uh, we can determine what vibe of music uh, you need to listen to to go from one mental state to another. And that's where things get really interesting because nowadays when we consume music, there is no real feedback loop. You know, we have a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But if we actually start integrating that into wearable technology, facial recognition and other things, we actually have an amazing feedback loop that informs the music that needs to be played in that moment. And that's really what we're focusing on here is understanding at a baseline, what is the music that makes you feel a certain way? And then how do we use technology to get that recurring feedback loop to modify it continuously? Absolutely. Sorry. I was curious, are you starting to use things like heart rate monitors or other, like how are you gathering biometric data at this point? Or is that something that's still in the future? Uh, I think the future is now, really. Uh, the only thing that's in the future with wearable technology is the adoption. I don't think you know, the world isn't comfortable yet with wearing devices that measure a bunch of things. A lot of people are, but a lot of people aren't yet. And uh, I would say many of them with good reason. But we are looking at those technologies and using this, these technologies. So we've been including them in our own research to see how that changes things. And it's pretty tremendous to see, you know, you can make assumptions, but when the data is reinforcing that and showing you in real time, that that's the case, uh, it's really, really powerful. So we need to understand uh, what music to play or what sound to play at what time. And then as things are evolving, understanding how that individual is evolving and how they're feeling. And when we can do that, we have an incredibly powerful tool that can help with your mental state. Amazing. So AI is involved. How exactly does the AI come into play? And are there other technologies that are essential? Yeah, it's, it's fun to talk about AI right now, right? <laughs> it, is. Topic, it is. It uh, is. For, for many reasons. I, I like to call it human-assisted machine learning. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of true AI out there. Uh, so what we use is, is machine learning. We use neural networks. And what that means is we train models to interpret data in a certain way and measure outcomes. And so there is a learning curve, which we've worked on over several years to understand what the inputs are. 
Uh, because what's really important with AI and machine learning algorithms in general is you need good data in to get good data out. There is no magic formula to just put in whatever you want and then expect good results. Uh, this has been a major problem in AI for years. So that's our approach with this. And why is that important? Because we use a lot of different data points, right? We have millions of songs that have their own data points, data points that we create and data points, uh, metadata around, you know, for example, the artist or uh, the song and the genre and things like that. But then we also have data points about an individual and their background. And we piece those two together into a map, if you will, to identify what type of sound works for different stages of life and all these things. So AI is very much at play here. And we have, uh, I think it's seven different models at the moment doing different things, piecing all of this together. Uh, the second part of this is how do we then integrate that into existing technologies? So our goal is not to be uh, the source of truth with, you know, being able to create our own hardware, software and everything. We want to plug and play with what's already out there and what's working really, really well. So in order to do that, you need to build your technology in a certain way so that it's plug and play, adaptable and can be used in many different scenarios. So that also leans in then to our focus on, uh, again, what we call precision music for brain health, which is a pretty broad term, but we know that music can be used for all types of areas of brain health, not just dementia or depression. And so we're building the tools to make that really easy uh, to cater for those different needs. And you're in this really interesting space, Nick, because you have to harmonize the demands of a very highly regulated industry, such as the, you know, the medical healthcare, you know, providing industry, which has, you know, lots of standards of care, a big legal framework around it for, for lots of good reasons. And then you're also having to figure things out with the music industry, which when it comes to licensing and things is, is equally complex. So I'm wondering how at Music Health, you've approached kind of figuring out both of these environments and, and creating products that made sense um, on all sides. So to, maybe you can talk a little bit about that process of, of uh, navigating those rapids and how you came up with a business model that made sense. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you're a brave man. Yeah, it's... It's, it's definitely challenging. I think when, when I started this uh, with my co-founder, it was very clear that if we're going to do this, if we're going to move the needle, we need to do things differently. And we need to change the status quo uh, because this really has huge potential, but it needs to be at scale, right? So one thing that I do, a uh, big part of my job is understanding incentives uh, for all parties. And so touching first on healthcare, as you pointed out, it's heavily regulated. And when it comes to data privacy, there's, there's a lot of interesting things happening there. Because on the one side, you have this influx of tools that are you know AI powered, and the healthcare industry doesn't necessarily know what to do with that. Uh, but in many cases, it's also not clear what the AI actually does, 
because for many companies, the AI is sort of this Pandora's box where they put a bunch of data in and they kind of hope for the best. But if you actually understand the, the flow of information and how that's processing your system, then you can be very clear about the information you're collecting and what you're doing with that. So we, we do collect information about the individual, but it's anonymous in the sense that the name of the person is irrelevant for our recommendation system. Uh, everything else is data points to feed into that individual's personalization. But that information is anonymous. We don't share it with anyone else. We are definitely not in the business of selling that data. It's purely used to improve the personalization element for that individual. And that it also ties in with the feedback loop for that individual. So that puts uh, you outside of laws like HIPAA, right? Because it's not technically a medical record. It's it's anonymous. Exactly. And Although we are definitely leaning into being HIPAA and SOC 2 compliant because great. we believe that's important for the industry to understand where we're coming from yeah, and yeah, showing yeah. that we're very transparent about what we're doing and how we're approaching it. So while that's an extra step and definitely not a, an easy hurdle, we think it's a necessary one to overcome to show the healthcare industry, but also individuals, caregivers in particular, like, this is how we're approaching it. We're very transparent about it. This is how we use your information, and this is how it benefits you. But at no time do we use that anywhere else. Yeah, that that is, I think, the treatment of personal data in the music industry is a big threat that not many people are thinking about, and that's a super smart approach. Yeah, it, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to things that are going on in the music industry, and that's definitely a podcast <laughs> for another time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but then on the side of, of the music industry, it was also clear that, you know, for example, for dementia, in order for this to work, you need to work with commercial music because you're tapping into long-term memory. And you can only do that with music from somebody's past, right? So like you mentioned Aerosmith or Frank Sinatra before, you can't really play a cover and expect to get the same sort of reaction in the brain. Yeah. Most you know, humans, like most <laughs> humans aren't going to respond to a MIDI version of, um, you know, Moonlight in Vermont. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that was something that was very clear. But for other areas that we're focused on, we don't need commercial music. So it depends on the use case, right? But we did say, if we're going to do this, uh, it's going to be a scalable solution that people around the world can adopt. We need to work with commercial and non-commercial music which means we need to work together with the labels and define this new category of wellness. So music wellness is not a new category, but the way we talk about precision music, we think this is and what we're doing. And so that, that involved a lot of conversations, mm -hmm. a lot, <laughs> stress, a lot of conversations, <laughs> but we got there. And the outcome of that is, we have an industry that understands it actually works in the music industry's favor, right? Because we are demonstrating the value of music uh, truly. And so that can benefit them in many other ways. And what we're saying is the way we've been consuming music for the last, you know, 50 years is great, but there's so much more we can do with it. And that's, I think the, era that we're getting into now is understanding the actual power of music and how we integrate that into our day-to-day -day in a meaningful way. I love it. 
We will talk more about the power of music and what may lie ahead in just a minute after the break. Hey, it's Shaylee here. Huge news. Music Tectonics Conference badges are on sale now at musictectonics.com. If you act now, you can grab one of our super limited, super early bird rate badges. It's the best price for the best music tech event of the year. Your badge unlocks three amazing days of connecting with music tech innovators in Santa Monica, California, October 24th to 26th. We're busy planning high energy panels, insightful keynotes, a startup pitch competition, innovative exhibitors, networking, and more. What? You're not already ready to buy your badge? Then sign up for our mailing list to get updated on programming, speakers, and exclusive discounts. It's all at musictectonics.com. Now back to the show. All right. Awesome. We are back here with Nick Johnson talking about music, technology, brain health, and all of the, all of, frankly, all of my favorite topics. So this is really, really exciting. Nick, what are some of the biggest health challenges? These could be mental health challenges, just general wellness uh, challenges that you feel we can address, at least in part, via music. What role could music play, and precision music, as you put it, play in helping us be happier and healthier in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's actually a very broad response, but let me refine it a little bit because there's been a tremendous amount of research on all areas of our well-being. So we actually look at this of benefiting our personal health in general. And the reason for that is that a lot of the things that we deal with, a lot of the ailments start in the brain. Our brain is incredibly complex. There's still a lot that researchers need to figure out here. But what they do know is that the brain is incredibly powerful and has this immense power to heal us in many ways, right? But it just needs to be prompted to do so. And that's where music is can be really beneficial because I'd say 99% of us enjoy listening to music. There's always a 1% that says, <laughs> I don't listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a bit weird, but they're out there. Yeah, yeah, they they, they exist and, and, you know, bless them. But I, yeah, <laughs> most of us. I, to be honest, when, when I hear that, I think you've just been exposed to the wrong music. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> there is just no way that sound, certain sounds don't, uh, you know, don't exactly. make you feel better than others. So, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Yes. Uh, so when we look at our own personal health, a lot of that starts in the brain. And when we understand that, we can actually understand that we're in control uh, of a lot of it. So, for example, in France, music has been used in hospitals for many, many years. Uh, music therapy as a, a career started in hospitals uh, during World War One and World War II. But in France, they've continued on with using music in surgery pre and post-op as well, because they saw that the recovery was a lot faster. Yeah, I, I, I can attest as someone who has uh, given birth that the doctors like to rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I so was actually Pink, Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb was what I recall was on the playlist. 
<laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So, so it's still it's in practice, even in the U.S., where things are sometimes a little bit, little bit uh, starker when it comes to healthcare. But uh, it's it is a it's a huge, huge and important thing in hospitals. Yeah, you know, we're used to this environment where everything's very uh, sterile and controlled, and of course, it needs to be for many things. But music adds a level of comfort that is really hard to describe unless you're in a situation like that. I mean, I remember when I got my wisdom teeth out, they said, go ahead and play some music before we give you the sedative. Headphones on, I drifted off. And I honestly remember falling asleep to a song that I love and waking up to that same song. And, you know, it felt amazing because I, I didn't remember the procedure. And the, the, the surgeon was talking about you know, how he was listening to music for an hour and a half. And I was just thinking, wow, it felt like three minutes. <laughs> but quite literally, I was out for an hour and a half. So there's there's use cases there to manage pain that is uh, that has been very well documented in research. But then there is um, the neurological side of things. So you have dementia, you have Parkinson's. So in Parkinson's, very interestingly, research has found that when they play music with a steady pronounced beat like a, a tango they can activate your rhythm part of your brain we all have that at the top of our head uh, that's why we start tapping when we hear certain music we can't help ourselves but for a person with parkinson's they often feel like their their body and brain is out of sync right and so when you use music with a pronounced beat it's actually helping them through movement through dance in this case to sync up the body and the brain again so it's actually a very good exercise for somebody with Parkinson's to do. And uh, I go one step further there and say, if you then also just make that the music that you love, so your absolute favorite songs that also have that pronounced beat, you're not only hap uh, helping with the coordination, but you can also increase your dopamine, which is really important for somebody with Parkinson's. So uh, there's also lots of fascinating research uh, with stroke uh, and epilepsy and prevention of the two by using music to change the signals in the brain. Now, this goes much deeper. It's really fascinating stuff. But researchers are finding ways to detect when there's likely to be an episode and then be able to play the right type of music to prevent that episode by rewi rewiring the brain in the moment. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I find that super, super fascinating, but there's a lot of value in, in the research that they're doing. Then on the other side, you have things like anxiety and depression and what have you. And that is really changing your mental state from one to the other. Now, I've experienced this in my own family for many years. And, you know, for somebody with depression, it's very easy to go into that negative mindset because that's what's happening in the brain. But we can use music to get out of that negative mindset into a positive mindset and uh, process our emotions better because of the music. So it's I'm I'm not explaining this in a short answer, Tristra. There's I no way to explain it in a short there's, there's, answer. There's a lot there. <laughs> but I guess the point of all of this for us is there's so many different use cases where music and sound, I shouldn't just say music, it's also just sound, uh, can benefit us in many, many ways. We know this, you know, anyone that's done any type of meditation, there'll be some kind of sound involved. And you'll notice that those types of soundscapes usually don't have any vocals in it. 
uh, and not a lot of variation, that's because it allows the brain to zone out then because it doesn't have to concentrate a lot on processing the information because our brain loves to anticipate and guess what's coming next, uh, which is why music is so great for us. You know, we're, we're anticipating the hook or the breakdown or the buildup and we, the brain rewards itself when it gets it right. But with relaxing music, it doesn't have to do that because it's, it's very easy to predict. So it can zone out and that's why it helps us focus or relax. So there's many different applications and I could literally talk about this the whole day. Yeah, but I wish, the I benefit wish we could. of technology <laughs> is that we can find the right sound for the right individual at the right time. And that's key. Are there technological tools in terms of, you know, like diagnostic tools? Like you mentioned things like epilepsy. And I know there are there's been a lot of research done on states prior to a seizure and what the brain is doing then. Do you imagine a future, and this is completely speculative, of course, where some of these diagnostic tools can help us, you know, precisely target with music better? I mean, what kind of things are you seeing besides like things like heart rate monitors? I mean, I don't know what other uh, easily accessible tools there are, but what are you what are you seeing on the horizon that makes you really excited in terms of getting more more feedback, more data about where music could enter into the wellness picture? Yeah, it's, it's kind of all of the above. So I am very fortunate that I have access to a lot of research through my peers. And I'm because I'm not an academic, I'm the annoying one that asks a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so when I know about the research they're doing, I'll immediately send a bunch of questions, get involved the best way I can and ask. And so I know there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in this space. And we know that there's... Uh, there's a lot of hardware devices out there that are doing different things to help with your focus and your sleep and your mental state in general. But sort of the cutting edge, what I'm seeing without going into do, too much detail is really around the the rewiring of the brain, as I mentioned before. So stroke and epilepsy and uh, also just recovery in general. So there's also a lot of really interesting research around people that are ending up in wheelchairs or with some kind of disability where they're using music to entrain the brain and help with movement coordination similar to Parkinson's, but at a much deeper level. I think uh, even in my lifetime, we're going to see really amazing things in that space, connecting music to these different technologies to really, uh, as you said as well, you know, harness precision music in many different ways. Uh, I think it's also really interesting with the sort of AI generated continuous soundscapes. There's a bunch of companies that do that today as well. Uh, if they can understand what that vibe is for that individual and be able to modify the soundscapes to that, I think there's a really interesting role that these companies can play there. Uh, but I, I'd say I'm I'm incredibly excited about what's coming down the pipeline because I've seen a lot of this firsthand in in the experiments and in the research. For us, what we're really focused on is making sure that our technology can plug into all of these different things, from medical grade patches that you can wear and they're disposable after you know a couple of weeks, 
plugging in the information of that and getting that feedback loop to wearable devices like the Aura Ring, but also just like the watch and other things like that. And I would imagine that we're going to get to a place where these wearable devices are going to get less and less invasive, as opposed to, you know, a Neuralink, which is much more invasive. Yeah, I, I think have a lot of questions. I think there's going to be a lot more technology <laughs> that's going to be able to measure things just from our body heat yeah. uh, and pulse and everything Skin else. Skin conductivity. And yeah. I know there's some external like EEG type devices that are in ear. There's a lot of really cool stuff coming that doesn't require people to drill a hole in your skull, which is exciting because I kind of don't want to get a hole in my skull. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. Amazing. So what needs to change in the music industry, in the way we approach healthcare? from your perspective for some of the, you know, for, mu for the impact of music to really be maximized, how can we make a better environment for, um, for us to take full advantage of music's power? Yeah, that could be a very loaded response. So I won't, I won't <laughs> go into... as diplomatic as you need to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I think, uh, as you called out before, these are two industries that are uh, very heavily controlled in many ways. And so... I think what we really need to understand is if we take a step back and think about healthcare in general, healthcare is now clocking in at about $9 trillion a year in expenses globally, uh, which is no small amount. And that number is growing rapidly. If we look at where our population is going uh, and where we find ourselves today, we really need to empower individuals to improve their own personal health. That's the only way we're going to do this. Healthcare systems and governments will not be able to cope. COVID was a good example of that. Uh, you know, all systems were stressed. So we need to change our relationship uh, with personal health and we need to be better informed. So the healthcare industry needs to empower individuals better and definitely needs to regulate on one end, but also adopt more innovation on the other. And uh, the music industry needs to come along for the ride and step away from this framework that we've been stuck in for a moment and understand uh, how music needs to be incorporated in our daily lives. And that means there's very different business models to be had. Um, and there's a lot of different use cases that are just not viable today because of how the industry works and how licensing works. So I'd say those are the key takeaways, but empowering the individual is key for success uh, for all of us with, with personal health, I think. Especially because in as we attempt to customize and personalize medicine more and more, you're going to have to know yourself or you won't be able to engage in that conversation very effectively. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I often, when I'm at a conference, a, a healthcare conference, for example, and they talk about AI, just a quick example, uh, the audience will have questions about how accurate the AI is versus a real doctor. And it's always a really interesting debate, right? Because, no doctor is flawless. They make plenty of mistakes, 
But a doctor with experience can also see things from a different point of view, which is invaluable, right? And so we should never replace doctors, but we should empower doctors with the right tools to make better or more informed decisions. And in some areas of healthcare, that's already happening. And it's really, really powerful. For example, with x-rays, there's technologies out there that are using AI models to detect even the most minute things on a scan that a doctor might have missed. And it, they can use that as an additional set of eyes and feedback, right? But the feedback in these conferences is always, well, well, if the AI is not 100% accurate, then it's dangerous. And this is where we need to better understand what AI is and what it does and what it doesn't do and how we can benefit from it. And, you know, that coincidentally leans into chat GPT and everything we see online about people saying how incredibly amazing this technology is. It absolutely is, but we also need to understand what it is and what it isn't. And what it isn't is a system that is coming up with new information. It's a system that is using existing information and repurposing it, right? Yeah, and it's not a truth machine. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the truth is also different uh, from every different lens, right? But I guess the, the point to understand there is a tool like ChatGPT can be incredibly powerful for all of us if we understand what it isn't and how we use it. So, oh, hey, I need to write a thing about this and that. I need some ideas. Um, hey, help me rewrite this in a different tone, things like that. But you still have to be the voice of reason. And when we understand that as individuals, if we have the right tools that can inform us in the right way, we can still be the voice of reason because it's our own body. It's our own brain. We can understand, well, this information makes sense for me or this doesn't. Or does this make me change my habits? Yes or no. So that's where I think really the power is in the next 10 years is empowering the individual with the right information. And for us, that means providing the individual with the prompts to say, this is what we think is going on at the moment. This is what we think you should do to change that mental or neurological state. Amazing. So Nick, if folks would like to learn more about music, music tech and healthcare, what are some where are some good places to start? Are there some great podcasts or thinkers you'd like to recommend? Any good books or writers? Where where would you recommend folks get started if they want to dive in deeper? Yeah, look, the, this is where the internet is amazing, right? There's so much information online to read about this that is incredibly exciting. But I would suggest to everyone really interested in this space to start with a couple of books. Um, one of the key books for me when I started was Musicophilia by Oliver Sacks. And I know many people that are not neuroscientists or data scientists that have read this as well, yeah. uh, or musicologists for that fact. It's a really uh, fun read. Exactly. And it just, it explains things in a slightly different way, uh, which makes it really interesting to understand different scenarios. Uh, there's lots of really interesting books. Uh, I'm terrible with titles, so I'm going to forget the titles now. But um, there is one about how our brain has evolved over millions of years and how that's impacted our ability to process sound. Uh, that's really, really fascinating. The name escapes me. I'm happy to follow up on that. Great. We'll put it in the show notes. 
Yeah, and then um, there's just leading neuroscientists doing amazing research and writing a lot of books and research papers on it. So I recommend people dive into that. I found in my career, the, the best thing you can do is to be curious and ask questions and you will no doubt go down a rabbit hole as I've been going down for the last 20 years, <laughs> where you just, there's so much information that's really interesting. Um, and as a starting point, just understand how that relates to you as a person. I think that's really the most powerful way to understand how all this works. And just understanding that we can impact our brain and mind state through music, you can start experimenting on yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's one thing that a, a neuroscientist told me that has stuck with me for a very long time. But um, he said to me, the brain doesn't know the difference between a truth or a lie. If you tell yourself something, the brain will take that for face value. So I'm really good at running. I'm terrible at running. <laughs> Whatever you tell yourself, that's what your brain is going to believe. And it's the same with sound. And one of the big things I talk about um, also in my TED talk is about how we are exposed to negative sounds in our environment all the time. And those negative sounds actually have uh, a real impact on our well-being. I live in a place on a very busy street. There's a lot of traffic noise. If that is the only sound my brain is processing day in, day out, that is stress-inducing. So I choose to replace those negative sounds with positive sounds. And that also includes silence, but in many cases that includes soundscapes and music that drowns out the negative sound and only provides me with positive sound. It changes my mental state. It changes my ability to focus. It, it changes everything about me in the day. And it's a very noticeable difference. So I always tell people to think about the type of negative sound they're exposed to and how they can replace that with positive sound, and in this case, music. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Nick, for taking the time to talk with us and share everything you've learned. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.